Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. You know, fundamentals of our representative republic. You know, we're talking about democracy. We're talking about the Constitution. They want to shred the Constitution. They don't care about the Constitution. The First Amendment protects the press, supposedly. Where'd that go? AOC's already talking about creating commissions to come after conservative media. And do you doubt that? Do you have any doubt that that if, if people like AOC had their way, they'd stifle, they'd silence conservative media altogether? Ask anybody who was on Parler. What happened to Parler? And if you think AOC, with her answer the other night, about a commission to rein in speech that she doesn't agree with, do you doubt it? AOC and other progressives have a new goal, according to David Harsanyi over at the New York Post. They want uh, a congressional truth and reconciliation or media literacy initiative. And the socialist congresswoman from New York, thanks New York, said yes indeed. She and her colleagues have been exploring media literacy initiatives as a way to help, quote, rein in the press. She said it's one thing to have differentiating opinions, but it's another thing entirely to just say things that are false. So that's something that we're looking into. That's a pretty powerful member of the United States Congress that now is controlled by her party. We now have Democrat majority rule in America, in Washington, and she is pulling a lot of strings, and she is pushing a lot of buttons, and she is controlling a lot of outcomes, make no mistake, and she confirmed, confirmed, that she's uh, considering a way to rein in the media and uh, announce her voice. She's not talking about CNN. She's not talking about the New York Times. They got nothing to worry about. People like Miranda Devine from the New York Post, and I want to share this column with you for a moment. Here's Miranda Devine. What a difference a week makes. Now check this out, what she says. On Wednesday, we discovered that House Democrats actually support police. They're against mob violence. They believe in law and order. They believe in harsh punishment for rule breakers. They believe in accountability. They care deeply about civility. They believe words matter. They abhor intemperate rhetoric. They're against coarse language. Fancy that. They believe in a peaceful transition of power, at least this time. As opposed to 2016, they believe in the Electoral College. They believe in the legitimacy of of the people's vote. They believe in walls, at least when it comes to protecting their own place of work. They even believe in bringing in the National Guard to quell civil unrest, at least when it comes to preserving their own peace. They believe in guns, at least when their own safety is at risk. They revere American history and institutional norms. They honor the Founding Fathers. This is what we learned, she writes, while watching the Democrats in the House impeach Trump 
for the second pointless time in 13 months. We learned that they, almost to a man and a woman, suffer from an acute case of hypocrite-itis. Where have they been the past four years with these noble ideas that conservatives have been begging them to defend? Perhaps if Democrats had not normalized and encouraged violence when organized BLM and Tifa mobs began rampaging through our cities, the tragic events of January 6th at the Capitol would not have occurred. Democrats have seemingly forgotten how many businesses and communities were burned amid the peaceful George Floyd protests. Democrats have seemingly forgotten how many businesses and communities were burned down to the ground. If there's a silver lining in this dark cloud, it's that our friends across the aisle have come to realize that riots are bad. We conservatives have known this all along. That was one of the Republican congressmen yesterday in the uh, impeachment vote. Perhaps if Democrats had not weaponized the intelligence agencies to spy on President Trump's campaign, perhaps if they had not used the Steele dossier to undermine the legitimacy of his presidency and accused him of colluding with Russia to rig the 2016 election, perhaps if they had not hobbled his administration with a three-year Mueller investigation, perhaps, just perhaps, writes Amanda Devine, Miranda Devine, more Trump voters would have been willing to accept the legitimacy of a Biden presidency. Perhaps if Dems had not already launched a spiteful partisan impeachment last year, their efforts to highlight the president's shortcomings would have fallen on fewer deaf ears this time. As Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio put it, it took just 19 minutes into Trump's presidency for the Washington Post to headline, Campaign to Impeach President Trump Has Begun. Do you remember that? 19 minutes. And as Jordan points out, with one week left to go in his presidency, they're still trying. Perhaps if Dems had reflected on their own culpability in the attempted assassination of Republican Representative Steve Scalise of Louisiana by a Bernie Sanders supporter, their sanctimonious lectures would be a little bit more credible. Scalise said... I've seen the evil of political violence firsthand, and it needs to stop. But all of us need to be unequivocal, calling it out when we see it, not just when it comes from the other side of the aisle. Perhaps if Joe Biden had not spent two years muscling up to Trump with threats like, I'd smack him in the mouth, and I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him, Biden's pitch for civility might be just a bit more palatable. Perhaps if Democrats had not spent the last four years calling Trump a dictator, authoritarian, Nazi, Hitler, white supremacist, anti-Semite, bigot, racist, hater, dangerous, demented, and insane, well, then maybe the hyperbole used against him yesterday might be a bit more effective. The Aesop's fable of the boy who cried wolf comes to mind, writes the great Miranda Devine at the New York Post. Democrats and their media handmaidens have spent four years demonizing Trump, using the most outlandish hyperbole their fevered imaginations could dream up. So when finally, at the bitter end, when he behaves in a way that angers even his most loyal supporters, there's nowhere left to go in the demonization department, she says. Hence the absurdity of yesterday's rhetoric in the House, as Democrats overreached yet again. Hence the absurdity of yesterday's 
process. White supremacist, Rashida Tlaib, that Lulu of Michigan, called him racist in chief. She is the one who screeched, we're going to impeach the MFR, right? In 20, after the 2016 election. That's what I thought. Instead of impeaching the president, writes Miranda Devine, the House could have censured him and would have gathered a lot more Republican votes. His refrain since November about having won in a landslide, she writes, was reckless and deluded, but it had nothing to do with racism. And his speech at the Ellipse in D.C. on January 6th explicitly called for the crowd to peacefully protest. She asks, how was he to know that the Capitol would not be adequately guarded and the mob would so easily smash their way inside? Capitol Police had been left like lambs to the slaughter, in part because the cop-hating mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, wrote to the Department of Justice the day before the protests specifically to reject federal reinforcements. Well, what do you know? How about that? The flexible morality and selective outrage of the Democrats and their media boosters is so dishonest, it makes your head spin. She had an Instagram chat, because, you know, that's what she does. Here's AOC talking about an effort to, as she put it, rein in the media. Now, if, if this doesn't, if you don't find this kind of chilling, and maybe the cow's already out of the barn. So it's 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 really hard to probably get the average American too exercised about this because they've already shut down Parler. Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, claims he's deeply troubled by having to ban Trump from Twitter. Very deeply troubled by the by by the decision to ban the president of the United States. Dorsey posted a lengthy Twitter read. I, these guys are in a lot of trouble. There's no way they can get around this. You you can't pretend to be worried about suppressing social media in Uganda, but literally block and ban a sitting president of the United States. And Dorsey knows it. You don't think these guys are nervous? Listen to his statement. I do not celebrate or feel pride in our having to ban at real Donald Trump or how we got here. After a clear warning, we take this action. We made a decision with the best information we had based on threats to physical safety both on and off Twitter. Was this correct, he asks. You, know, you understand the official no- reason for banning Trump was because he referred, to, he referred to his supporters as American patriots. That's all he said. They, thought, they felt that was code to uh, insurrectionists. And number two, one line tweet that the president sent out to those who've asked, I won't be attending the inauguration. That was interpreted as inciting violence. That's Which is, of course, another garbage, nonsense lie. Dorsey said, we faced an extraordinary and untenable circumstance. That said, having to ban an account has real and significant ramifications. While there are clear and obvious exceptions, I feel a ban is a failure of ours, ultimately, to promote healthy conversation and a time for us to reflect on our operations and the environment around us. Now, uh, you might ask yourself, okay, they're shutting down Parler, they're banning provocative people from the Internet, 
ask anybody who's ever followed well, Alex Jones. He's gone. There's no Internet presence at all. They've shut down every platform possible. So they are picking and choosing. You can make the argument, well, they're private companies. They can do what they want. So what are you going to do about the press? What are you going to do about the actual media that has been, in many many occasions, very critical of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seems to know what to do about it. I can say is that there's absolutely a commission that's being discussed, but it, it seems to be more investigatory um, in style rather than truth and reconciliation. Um, and so I think that's an interesting concept for us to explore. Um, and, you know, I do think that uh, several members of Congress in some of my discussions have brought up uh, media literacy because that is a part of what happened here. Um, and we're going to have to figure out how we reign in our media environment so that you can't just spew disinformation and misinformation. There's a real easy, quick question that any reporter could ask her and should. If your accusation is that checks challenging the integrity of the 2020 election is what you claim is misinformation and disinformation, all of that, you have to be able to ask her, why did Democrats challenge the integrity of the 2016 election? That's a logical thing. That's not provocative. I'm not trying to pour fuel on the fire. That's a logical question. Incidentally, the part two logical question to AOC is, who gets to decide what's truthful? If you're saying we won't allow, we need a commission to rein in the media because misinformation, and you know who she's talking about. She's talking about conservative media. She's talking about anybody who pushed back against any election integrity. Again, has to include 2016 and Pelosi and Jim Clyburn and the media, all the, all the narrative over and over again that said that Russia, Russia colluded with Trump to rig the outcome of the election. So, who decides that? I, I guess AOC thinks it's a commission. Hmm. Well, then who makes up the commission? Want to bet who'd be on the commission? The truth of the matter is, this truth commission... This Truth and Reconciliation Commission, as David Harsanyi points out, was most famously used in South Africa after the fall of apartheid as a means of restorative justice. The insinuation by those who use that phrase, the insinuation by, by people from people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is that 74 million Americans who voted for the Republican presidential candidate are racist thugs in need for similar programs. It's a disgusting smear and speaks to the dangerous and illiberal inclination of progressives. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.